When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I just want to take a second to tell you about our friends at Social CBD. I get asked a lot about CBD products. Everyone's heard about it. But uh, thanks to the variety of claims being made, it can be difficult to answer these things with certainty. We don't have the clinical science yet. Luckily, I've connected with an Oregon-based company that has all about high-quality ingredients and manufacturing. Not hype. They were previously called Select CBD, but they've just relaunched their brand as Social CBD. Social CBD focuses on broad-spectrum oil, something else you might have heard about, but also confusing. So let me tell you about that. Hemp has over 60 non-psychoactive cannabinoids. CBD is one of them. Broad-spectrum oil goes beyond CBD isolates and contains additional active compounds that work together to create what's known as the entourage effect. This can be effectively delivering more calming and relaxing effects for, that's what many people, of course, are looking for. Social CBD's broad-spectrum oils contain zero THC, no high, no rewarding effects, none of those risks. They are available as great-tasting tinctures and flavors like vanilla mint, pomegranate tea, Meyer lemon. Simply drop it under your tongue for maximum effect. Social CBD products available in a range of formulations, each of which is clearly described so you can make an informed decision without all the promises that appear to be and often are too good to be true. To learn more, go to drdrew.com slash socialcbd. That's my website, drdrew.com slash socialcbd. For a limited time, you save 20% at checkout with the code DRDREW. Check it out. Next up, I want to tell you about our friends at Gainswave. I have to touch on a subject that gets kind of negative press, which is erectile dysfunction. It's just a basic biology but some of the companies, the way they offer ED solutions, they talk about it in such a way that people are left ashamed or embarrassed. The fact is, as many as 30 million, men, 30 million males are affected by some form of erectile dysfunction. 60% at 60, 50% at 50, 40% at 40, the way we think about it. And it's biological. It's beyond their control. It's not, not psychological. And what's more devastating is that every case of erectile dysfunction really affects two people, the man and the partner, and that can affect the relationships. It can be quite damaging. And we all know about the pharmaceutical agents that are out there. They've been helping men for over 20 years. But sometimes these treatments are inadequate or give temporary solutions or maybe people don't want to take the medication or the side effects. That is where Gainswave may be a great option. Gainswave is a breakthrough shockwave-based treatment that addresses what may be at the root cause of erectile dysfunction, namely a buildup of arterial microplaque in the arteries to the penis. This buildup can impede the flow necessary for proper functioning. Gainswave treatment uses sound waves to break up the microplaque and improve or restore blood flow entirely. It's a non-invasive, drug-free option that is truly promising. The procedure takes about 20 minutes. It's comfortable. Most men are able to enjoy benefits the same day. Best part is Gainswave users and clinicians report 75% success rate, which is truly impressive. 
If you think you or your partner could benefit from this treatment, I urge you to look into it. There are over 400 Gainswave providers in North America. To learn more, go to drdrew.com slash wave. It's that simple. It's my website. Go now, drdrew.com slash W-A-V-E. Now back to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Life Podcast with me, Dr. Drew. That is right. Welcome, everybody. Uh, welcome to we welcome our Facebook audience too. Uh, give us the comments there on Facebook. I will try to uh, occasionally click over to Facebook and address those questions as they come up. Give us a little chance to chat first, so uh, don't don't start throwing those questions up there too quickly. And our mind, everybody, support the people that support the pod. We we are able to do this because of our. Uh, are the people that support us, and we select them very carefully, and we stand behind them. Go to drdrew.com for all the other family of pods out there. Don't forget Dr. Drew After Dark. Uh, people dig that. That's also a YouTube show on the Your Mom's House platform. Very different podcast than this one. You kind of have to see it to believe it, um, but it's entertaining. It is my profound pleasure to welcome Supervisor Catherine Barger to the program today. We're doing something very different because I've been um, very – public and visible about my concerns about the direction particularly the state and this county is going and so why not bring an la county board of supervisor representative in here Catherine barger thank you so much for being here thank you and thank you drew for taking this cause up um, you've been an incredible uh, spokesperson I, as it relates to highlighting the problem to me it's just uh i'm just a clinician i see what i see and once you see it you can't unsee it and you have to you you're sort of morally obliged to do something but you will we'll let you know what we're talking about here as we go along here you can follow Catherine. Her Twitter handle is Catherine with a K-R-Y-N Barger, B-A-R-G-E-R. Supervisor Catherine Barger on uh, Instagram. And uh, does the LA County Board of Supervisor have a website or anything we should send people to? Well, I, I have a website. Okay. Um, you can just go to the Board of Supervisors, click on um, my webpage, um, bos.org. So Catherine serves the county's largest supervisor district, 2,800 square miles, 22 cities, 70 unincorporated areas in the San Gabriel, San Fernando, Crescenta, La Crescenta, I guess, or Crescenta yeah, La, Valley, yeah, La Crescenta. Santa Clarita, and La Crescenta. This is a huge territory. For those of you who are not in Southern California, the, the way Los Angeles is, you, you, it's almost mind-boggling the way it's stretched over thousands of square miles. I yeah, mean, I, I have the largest, but we all represent about 2 million people because there's about a, a little over 10 million living in L.A. County. Uh, what... Why in the world did you do this? Why, why, why do this to your life? What well, a burden. Uh, no, I mean, I, this is my passion. Um, I started as an intern working for the prior supervisor, and then I started... How did that happen? Uh, I grew up in the area, and we were required to have jobs during the summer, and so... Who uh, required your parents? My father, yeah, yeah very dad. much. I mean, my We passion, were required. My first job was working, uh, flipping hamburgers, but uh, while I was in college... Oh, where? Burger King, which really was not flipping. You put them on a, a, a conveyor, conveyor belt. belt. Right, but, <laughs> but still, it sounds good. Uh, and so, while I was in college, went to school back east in Ohio, came back... Where, I know where you went to college. Where'd you go? I went to Ohio Wesleyan. Oh, Delaware, Ohio. School. Yeah, small liberal arts school. Yes, very fine. Started to intern for the supervisor for two summers, uh, and then lived in D.C., private sector, didn't go into politics when I graduated. And when he heard I came back to California, he offered me a job in his office oh, wow. handling uh, children's services, wealth, uh, welfare, uh, mental health, and health. And so in that, L.A. County, that's two-thirds of our budget. And that makes sense why now you are focused on leading our way through this mental yep. health crisis because yep. you've seen it from the ground up. When you first got involved in child, and, uh, child services and, and mental health, 
what were your kind of instincts? What did you think? Did you think, oh, my God, what a mess, or, oh, we can really do something here? As you got into it, how, how did you react to it? Because as I got, I will just share with you just to sort of set the soil for you. I started working in Los Encinas Hospital, which is under your district also, 1985, and it was all sort of mysterious and astonishing to me. I didn't really know how to read it. I didn't know what it was, which is why I know how people are mystified by what they're seeing in the streets now because I was one of the ignorant people, got educated, now I see it. The average person has no way to know what a mental Ill, Ill person is. They don't look different. They don't have rashes. They don't behave different until they're way on in their disease. And and the, the kinds of treatments and things that were going on and the landscape of treatment to me was um, troubling back in the 80s. Now it's mortifying. <laughs> but back then I was like, oh, is this the right way to do this? But what did you think back well, then? Well, I mean, obviously it's always been a struggle on hospital beds um, and finding a place to, to place individuals who are in crisis. But what made it worse is, and, and you know, people always say Ronald Reagan actually started with Kennedy, and the thought was that you deinstitutionalize and you build um, a community-based programs. Right. And we never took it that far. Right. So you had people that were, to your point, um, displaying mental illness, which got worse and worse and worse right. progressively, yeah. and um, and there was no place to put them. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak directly to the audience. Caleb, am I looking right down the barrel here? Because I need them to understand this. Go read a book called American Psychosis. I, uh, it, it chronicles exactly the history that uh, Supervisor Barker is talking about, which is that it, we, it actually goes back to the 40s when a guy named Robert Felix, who was trained, give me a minute to give him a little history. Yeah, no, I, I love it. He was trained at the Lexington, Kentucky Opiate Farm. The, the federal government maintained a research center on the on, because of the opiate epidemic of the early 20th and late 19th century. It actually was a pretty good place, but they got into all kinds of nefarious stuff. The original detox models, the original notions about addiction were developed at the Lexington, Kentucky Treatment Center. But they also had residents and psychiatrists in training, who some of whom came out of there never saw chronic mental illness. They never saw it. They never trained in it, really. I mean, they, they, there's no way they didn't know what it was. They just didn't have real skill with it. They never set foot in a state mental hospital where people need cu custodial care, the severely chronically mentally ill. And they came out with an evangelical theology that was very popular at the time. I mean, things like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Ken Kesey's book came out, Irving Goffman was out there saying that mental illness was caused by these state mental institutions. And it, these psychiatrists, Robert Felix, the guy's name, established the National Institute of Mental Health. I forget what they called it to begin with. And they took the position that there is no need in today's world. We have Thorazine, after all, which is that part of their armamentarium. There's no need for custodial care, and it's ridiculous, and it's causing mental illness, and the real goal should be to prevent mental illness. So in 1963, he, they coerced, they put a committee together, they essentially coerced President Kennedy to sign the Community Mental Health Act. He was prone to sign it because he had a sister, Rosemary, who had a chronic brain disease, poorly defined, we don't know really what it was, had a lobotomy, ill-advised by an idiot that was walking around doing that hand over fist. I saw at Los Encinas, we had a museum of people like that. Wow. I took care of all those people when they were in their later years. In any event, 
This was the last public document that President Kennedy signed before his Dallas trip. We all know what happened then. And it established community mental health centers, which goals were to prevent mental illness. No idea how to do that. And still to this day, we don't know how to do it because it's, it's, these are spontaneous illnesses. Two, they were to choke off and sent the state mental hospitals on the course to natural extinction. They eliminated any resources financially, Medi-Cal, excuse me, Medicare, uh, Medicaid, would not cover anything for custodial care, so there was no way to pay for these patients. This was the first time the federal government got involved with something that had been relegated to the states and the counties until that point, in fact, had been repeatedly rebuffed by previous, including Franklin Pierce, previous presidents, because there's no provision in the Constitution for our federal government to get involved in this stuff. But anyway, here we are. And it was a catastrophe. And so patients were pouring out of the state mental hospitals with not only no plan for how to treat them, they were not referred to the community mental health centers because those were prevention centers and they were only dealing with like mild psychological problems and now the people as over the course of the next 30 years the patients from the state hospitals went to the streets the nursing homes which we had a big dose of here in pasadena at one point i used to serve those nursing homes streets nursing homes and jails prisons that's where they ended up now in california we've made nothing a crime there's no crimes in California. Nothing, nothing meets the criteria of being a crime anymore because of Prop 47, Prop 57, AB 109. And so they're not going to the institutions. They're going to the street, period, end of story. And there, there they are in the street, suffering, languishing. And these are progressive illnesses that result in death. Let's be very clear. The earlier you, you intervene on these illnesses, the more you can do. You can actually reverse it if you get them earlier. Things like schizophrenia, addiction, you leave it to languish they become irretrievable and need chronic custodial care at that point. So this is the, the setting that we're all dealing with. I'm sorry to go off about this. No, it's, Read it, more American it's important psychosis. to understand the, how the, we got here. How we got here and what this is. You're right. Yeah. And then, then the, uh, the other piece of this story, and please play this in your schools or if you ever need a story about how this worked. The other piece of the story is the opiate epidemic. So another book called Dreamland, if we, we uh, have a podcast with Sam Canonius here on the This Life platform somewhere. You can find it at drdrew.com. Read that book, and he nails exactly how that history played out. I lived through that one, too. And my profession put a bunch of people on opiates. Again, theological enthusiasm. Whenever professionals or politicians develop theology, like an enthusiasm, an ideology that's almost theological, where they're making decisions for other humans, it's a catastrophe. It's a catastrophe. Run, scared, stop them. Get in the way of that because it, it prevents them from being objective about what's going on. So they developed the theology about oral opiates that pain is the fifth vital sign and we should be using these things more routinely in all settings. We brought the opioid epidemic. Then we began realizing what we had done. We cut off patients. And guess what? When you cut off an opiate addict... They look for something else. They don't stop using them. No. They look for something cheaper, easier, better. Heroin comes in, fills that gap. Heroin drives people to the streets. When you're on heroin and meth, you end up on the streets. That's where my patients go. That's part of the progression of their disease. So that now is the final chapter of the opioid epidemic that is also playing out on our streets. Although the irony is now, because of the opioid epidemic, um, this administration is now allowing states to enter into waivers, which will allow us to now bill Mental health beds, which, as you said, are, you know, the money was cut off. So you, you, you basically, 
no longer could get reimbursed for any mental health beds, right. so they all closed. Yep. Uh, and now, if the state of California will enter into a waiver with the federal government, we will be able to actually build capacity to address the number of people that need to be okay, so, stabilized so Catherine, and hospitalized. For me, for me, that is the big, what should we call it, black box in this whole story. We, we, we're jumping ahead a little bit because we haven't talked yet, yet about yeah. how to get people into these places yeah. yet, but, but, but I want to talk about what But we have doing. to build the capacity in order to get... How do we do that? We, how fast? How can we? It's, well, it's, it scares me more than anything. My fear is the federal government's going to come in and push people into something, into a triage unit, and then what? Once you triage them, what do you do with them? Well, so two things. Number one, you know, I have faith in, in our governor. Governor Newsom has been very responsive as really? it relates to... He, he has been. I, uh, mean, I will take your word for he, it. Because well, I trust been. you, I will take your word for it. And that, um, that is... You don't know. I feel like I can take a big deep breath when you say well, that. Well, I mean, that you know, not... I, the proof's going to be in the pudding, but but I I have confidence. My colleague Mark Ridley Thomas is on um, a task force that he put together that's being very aggressive as it relates to looking at the homeless issue. And to your point, I mean, the the black box. Well, I mean, why is it, why isn't there a single mental health professional on that committee? There's not. There is not. Mm-mm. Well, Mar- you know, our our. Uh, Director of Mental Health, Dr. Jonathan Sharon, is a psychiatrist and is very well known. Will he advise Mark? Oh, Oh, absolutely. And he came from the VA. Okay, good. No, no, that's all I care about. No, he will. But but I I did not know that there was not a mental health professional Only politicians, Um, which is, you know. Well. (laughs) I'm glad Mark's there. Good news. Good news. I'm glad Dr. Sharon. I have to say that that while Mark is a politician, he's a leader on this, and and I'm very proud to stand with him. um, I'm so delighted. Because leaders, leaders act. Right. And, um, you know, he is not pandering. He, he, he knows what we have to do. Well, and this, this is the thing that I've been sort of uh, screaming about, which is this, the, there's nothing about this that everyone's going to agree on. There's lots of – anybody that gets in the way of progress is, is contributing to the death in, in, the, in the streets of our cities, in, in particular on the West Coast, three a day in L.A. County, three a day. You're murderers. You're murdering if you get in the way of progress in terms of helping these people. You're a murderer. So you don't need to be listened to. You should be stepped aside. You're a murderer. We don't listen to murderers. I'm sorry. If you want to be part of the solution, fine. But if you want to get in the way of being able to help people who are dying in our streets, you're a murderer. And and the number is going up. We are going to surpass last year's count. um, In deaths. In in deaths on the street uh, for people, homeless people um, that are dying. And it is people of color that are disproportionately impacted. Oh, well, that's a bigger conversation I want to have with but you. But I because, think it's important because to whatever say, the policies are, they look racist to me because well, I see and, a, and, a lot of I mean, people of color. I think on the that's streets. important because that's what's I agree. called out to me. I agree, completely agree. We have a we have a, a friend and someone directly from the neighborhood in Venice who is Venice has become ground zero for a lot of the trouble out there. Rick Swinger, Rick, are you there? Okay, one second, Rick. To Catherine Barger, there you are. Hey, Rick, how are you, man? Can you hear me? Oh, I'm terrific. How are you, Dr. Drew? Good, and thanks for calling us. I know you're in Mexico right now on vacation, but you felt this was important enough to call in. I'm in in the middle of my vacation, yes, (laughs) but it's so important to talk that I'm breaking away from my aerobics in this pool to talk to you, and especially to Catherine Barger. And I'd like to say something right off the bat, if I may. In the spirit of John Muir, Ansel Adams, Jacques Cousteau, and Steve Irwin, I want to personally and publicly thank Catherine Barger, Janice Hahn, and Mark Thomas, for taking the Martin versus City of Boise Circuit nice district ruling to the Supreme Court. Yes. Thank you for that county yes, motion. Major we deal. owe you. Thank major you. deal. And anyone who interferes with that, again, murderers, step aside. But go go ahead. So, Rick, yes. what, what are you seeing in Venice now? What's happening? 
Well, I, I'm not in Venice. Like I said, I'm in the Bay of Banderas. And I, there's no pollution here at the storm drains. They just had a major uh, storm here. And I went down there, and they have uh, turtle uh, uh, nesting sites here right by storm drains. They've got the pollution. You ask me where the environmentalists are? Well, they must be in Puerto Vallarta. And we need some of them over there because I tell you, the pollution and the, and the drugs is, is all going down our storm drains and polluting our beach and, and threatening our children. So, Rick, and, uh, Rick, you, you were know, one of the first. You were, I, I noticed you online were one of the first people to start shining a light on the rat issue, which has been a grave concern to me because it's obviously yes. kind of the vector of disease. We have typhus in this part of the, in your district. Typhus is Oh, endemic. it sure is. Go yeah, ahead. I've been, uh, I started this website, Stop Illegal Dumping in Venice Beach, the day before my birthday, June 17, 2016, when I noticed a toy sand bucket right next to a cesspool. And uh, this cesspool almost looks like a pier because they have a picnic table on top of it. And uh, I <laughs> they have no diving sign. At that time, they, had, uh, they didn't have any no swimming signs. So they had one that was stuck in the sand. And i got to tell you, the county helped me out. i got to uh, thank Stephen, Stephanie Cohen because they actually mounted permanently two signs. They, only had, they asked me, what makes your storm drain so different? We have 200 of them in this bay. And I said, it's right by a, a children's playground. And he said, okay, uh, we can give you two. Where do you want them, Rick? I said, well, one facing the playground north and one facing uh, the you know, south. Do north and south, and we'll try to figure out how to get more. And, uh, and that was it. Now we're working on rat-proof trash cans. Now, she's a county, and, this, and we're trying to get the county to give the city information. Now, this is what's strange. Mike Bonin has these $6,000 solar panel rat-proof trash cans by his house on Venice Boulevard in Boise. They don't have them on the surgery campgrounds. They have primitive, uh, open... Uh, trash cans, which is uh, in direct conflict of what the city health department is recommending. And they are also saying that the Norway rats have uh, pathogens, both viral and bacterial, yeah. and they've noticed this years ago. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm passing around flea callers right now because all these <laughs> uh, campers good. with these unregulated campers, they're bringing their dogs in, the, in their tents, and the dogs will have the fleas. And as you know, uh, you've been talking about this, these will transfer. Now, one other thing I want to make a note of, is I'm not, you know, I got a wife that's in RN. She's in a community, you know, 40%, I think, of, uh, are homeless in there, the community hospital. I'm afraid for her life. I, I'm afraid of these contagious diseases that you've been talking about, Dr. Drew, because it's right on my doorstep. I mean, right on my doorstep, people, young, young kids are, are exhausted. They should be playing in the beach riding bicycles, but no, they are laying themselves down at our doorsteps. I got pictures of it. It's all yeah. on my site. It's, it's, What's your it's site, Rick? We'll, all, we'll, send people over, we'll send people over your site so you can get back to your water aerobics. What is your site? Yeah. It's Stop Illegal Dumping in Venice Beach, and that's a Facebook site. All okay? Right. And, uh, all right. And I just want to, again, thank you, Catherine Barger. You have done so much. You have no idea what helped. You, you actually know. released the pressure cooker. I, I know, thank Rick. You I feel again. the same I, way. I, that's why I brought Catherine in. Because literally, much. I feel like I can... She, she added some more to my ability to fill my lungs. It, like, it, it feels like something's sitting on your chest when you see this going on all day. And it's, it's scary. And to have a leader in there just systematically helping in a pragmatic, systematic way, it's greatly relieving. Thank you, Rick. We'll go to your, you'll go to your Facebook site. Well, well before he I'm goes... I'm going back to my aerobics class. Hold on. Wait, wait. Sure before he goes, we have a video that his neighbor took of some violence that was occurring right below his balcony okay and just so people can kind of see what that's, not, that's my neighbors yeah your all right neighbor. so are we where are we where do we see that caleb's gonna play behind us yeah i guess yeah okay. we're gonna see <laughs> i hear it it's an ongoing thing it's nothing unusual 
Hello? I can't see Hello. it. Hello? You see it? Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay, I'm off air. Am I off air? Yeah, Rick, we'll see you. Okay, you guys hey. have a good one. You're an environmentalist. <laughs> so, increasing violence uh, against homeless, by homeless, just more violence on our streets is really deeply concerning. It's not they're the, they're the object of the island violence, and they're the perpetrators. Well, when we talk about the homeless that are dying on the street in the corner, keeping the count, a lot of that is crimes against the homeless. I mean, it's not like they just wait; they don't wake up. Many yeah. of them are murdered. Yeah, um, yeah. There, there is increasing violence, and uh, of course, these these are not to pretend this is a static situation is one of the things that troubles me so deeply. These are progressive circumstances. And my original, when I originally woke up to this, was when this house was overrun by rats, and I thought, oh, it's got to be the homeless. And it, I followed the trail. Lo and behold, it was. And I realized we had a rat bloom here in Pasadena that extended all the way to Long Beach. Millions, tens of millions of rats. And in this area, rats carry. Last last uh, plague outbreak was in Los Angeles, 1920s. Read a book, Black Plague at the Golden Gate, if you want to hear about it. Uh, and I spoke to the author, and he said, it is inevitable that we have it here again if we don't handle the rat problem. Inevitable. This guy's an expert in Ursinia. We have typhus. We have typhoid. We had we typhoid on kids skid row. Tuberculosis. You don't even know how bad that is. And something called non-tuberculous AFB. It's called M. avium intracellularia. has been exploding. And I don't know why the infectious disease doctors aren't collectively talking about it but it's going and this is all serious stuff and then if measles hit my god this is a suboptimally immunized group if measles rips through the it's just unthinkable what could happen here and ben carson when i spoke to him that's your when you see this as a physician that's your first concern you go oh my god this this is the this is how epidemics develop you know forget some strange andromeda strain virus that comes in from outer space no 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 we've created the soil for for a, a an old-fashioned 11th century outbreak and because we are one of the only countries and only states on earth that don't take care of sick people it's just incredible this is not third world third world that's poverty this is 11th century when sick people were ostracized and put out on the street and not treated and didn't know what to do with them they try a little bloodletting or try something, leeches, anything. But Well, I mean, on nothing. Skid Row, you know it's bad. And, and, and contrary to what people think, I, I actually walk areas. I talk to the homeless. Yeah, me too. Um, and uh, you know it's bad when you walk down in Skid Row and rats, which usually scurry away when they see someone, are not afraid of humans. And they're, they are large and they are living amongst the homeless down there. And within the homeless population down there, you've got predators, you've got gangs that have taken over corners. Oh, yeah, that's um, the that, other that, that at the beginning of the month, when the individuals get their their um, their the financial aid yeah. from um, you know the county yep. uh, welfare, um, they, they are taking that money from those individuals in exchange for drugs. It, it is horrible what is going on down there, and it is it is a third world country. No, no. And absolutely it's, it's disgusting. 11th, third world, that's an insult to third world. This is 12th century stuff. Yeah, it, is, it's... it's um, it's it really very is. disheartening yeah. to me, but but that that's I think why I have such a passion um, as it relates to first of all finding out what the root cause. And to your point, I do believe Prop Forty Seven decriminalizing drug use is a problem. AB One Hundred Nine, um, which uh, early release from prison, and I'm all about redemption. I'm all about you know get out of jail, get of a job, stay out of, of trouble. Course, of course, but we have set them up for failure because yep. we don't provide the resources yep. and. Um, with the legalization of the drugs, um, it is just creating a spiral and, out of control. And for to, to deny the fact that the drug problem on our street exists, my patients, when you tell them they can use, they're coming. If you can tell them they can use and traffic, they will show up, I assure you, and they are showing up. 
Uh, I want to. We have another call. Yeah. Okay. Before we go to the call, it's all that time already. I I want to. Well, I'm getting a lot of Facebook posts here, and I want to right, get to well, some of these. Ethan. Ethan? Yes, he's been on the line for a while. Oh, Ethan, what's going on, Ethan? Ethan, there you are. Hello. Hi there. What's happening? Hi, Doctor Drew and Supervisor Barger. How are you? Hi there, Ethan. Um, I wanted, uh, I guess, Doctor Barger to kind of take a more defensive approach to her uh, ruling earlier this week or her motion to overturn Martin versus Boise. And can she explain to me how this isn't criminalizing our unhoused neighbors? And at the same time, I also want to kind of push back on this point that it seems like the good doctor is trying to make that every single person on our streets is a mental, uh, has a mental illness. Ethan, this Ethan, is not the Ethan, case at all. Ethan, What's it's your, what's your, hey, hey, and hey you know listen that. to me. What is your training in you, mental you health? You know that? What is your training in mental health? It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm a community member. I right. talk to homeless Correct. people all the and time. And if you don't know how to do mental a mental health, health interview, there's no way on earth you'd be able to detect the mental illness that's underlying what's, a, what's wonderful oh. people. And, and Ethan, yeah, and Ethan, what, what I, impossible for you to be able to make that assessment. Just for the record, I am not a doctor. I am not a doctor. community, and they are not. Oh well, wow! But, you really, you really know how to facilitate a conversation. No, but let me really let me just say something. Let me just stars, don't you? Donald Trump and Doctor. Hey, hey, you Ethan, really love sort of the reality TV. So, Ethan, here's the deal: you are getting in the way of saving lives. If you get in the way, you you are responsible for three deaths every day. Three deaths every day. How high does the body count need to be before you make a change? How high? What's the body count need to be before you allow people to help these people that are languishing on the streets? You have no business saying anything about mental health or not mental health. You have zero training in that. Step aside. You are killing people with mental illness and addiction. I, I will not have it anymore. I will not have it. That is, that is, I understand you want to help our community members. Then allow people to step in and help them. That's the bottom line. Bottom line. And, and I would say that, you know, when I started out in the county, um, we run a rehab center that was just for alcohol and drugs. Mm -hmm. And what we found was when the people were in there for an extended period of time, they started to play mental, display mental illness. Of course. And so we know that there is dual diagnosis. So to Ethan, to your point, um, there are addicts out there that are masking their mental health issues. Um, we're not saying that all individuals out on the street no, are it's mentally not 100%. ill. No, it's not 100%. It's a very, ma it's a vast majority. Right. And, vast and, majority. and I want to clarify, you know, we are filing an amicus supporting um, someone who lives in downtown LA who got fed up with what is going on and pro bono uh, is representing the, the city of Boise in uh, asking to overturn the Ninth Circuit ruling. So, so not, nothing more than to be able to render care to these yeah. people. And to so we are filing the amicus, and I'm, I'm proud of it. I've gotten overwhelming support and thanks because right now we are criminalizing. When people say, I support criminalizing the homeless, we're doing it now. Go down to our jail. See what's going on down there. I have a friend whose brother is mentally ill. He, he now has a record. Because of the inactions taking place, because we right. can't do anything. Right, he should be going to mental health services, not to prison. The idea behind forty-seven fifty-seven AB one hundred nine, excellent, excellent, excellent. I do not want these people criminalized, but the reality is, if you don't treat them, the criminal behaviors emerge, and they will be criminalized. And that, this has nothing to do anathema. with the president and all. This has to no. do with I grew up here. I've seen what is going on. I know. 
that we have to do better. So, you know, people that want to bring in w- what's going on in Washington, uh, that is it's just a distraction to me, and it's not going to, uh, to derail my focus and uh, how I move forward. Uh, somebody on Facebook is asking about Laura's Law. You know about that? Yeah, Laura's Law yeah. was created, and it was a voluntary uh, um, where if someone was willing to get treatment, they would not be hospitalized. It's something that we're expanding on. Um, it doesn't have as, as much teeth in terms of keeping people off the street, um, but it's clearly another tool in our toolbox. Right. It's something that, that when Sacramento was thinking that we needed to change the laws, was willing to do it on a volunteer basis, but it has to do with conservatorship and, and treatment, uh, voluntary treatment versus hospitalization or jail. People who do not have training in addiction treatment or mental health I'm sorry. As a community member, you have a you have a you have a role in terms of making sure your community members get treatment. That you decide where and what kind of services are available. Getting in the way of the treatment? No. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. You 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 might as well get standard an emergency room and not allow people to get surgery or any other emergency care. You're doing the same thing. I can't stand for it. I can't stand for it. It's just it's not something I can I can allow. Nor nor I, I and and by the way, doctor, you, you're not alone. Uh, if you talk to people, um, they say the same thing. How, how can we as a society sit back and let this happen? And for me, mental health is uh, the population that I focus on because they're the most vulnerable on oh. the streets and they can't take care of themselves. And we have family members that approach us and say, please help. Please help. Oh, my God, help. desperate for help. And again... These are love. These are. This is nothing against or, or disparaging people on the streets. They are lovely. They are my patients. I've been serving them for twenty five years, which is why I can't sit by and watch them die. I, I know what this is. They are lovely. You don't know what this is. There's no way without training you can evoke the symptomatologies that we know are underlying this brain condition. And fundamentally, a, a key piece of the, the brain disorders out on the streets is something called anisognosia, which is a parietal temporal mechanism in our brain that allows us to have insight into the consequences of our choices and behaviors and the circumstances in which we live. When you have a stroke, if you have a big stroke on the right side of your brain, the left side of your body will go out and you won't notice it. That's called anisognosia. People will go, hey, your left side's not moving. Huh? What? Oh, anyway, that's anisognosia. That is what develops in addiction, bipolar, schizophrenia, and dementia. Strangely, in dementing illnesses, why don't you let your community members with demented illnesses wander around on the streets too? Would that be great? Would that be okay? No, you'd never do that. These are the same symptoms caused by a different set of illnesses. Same symptoms. You're not seeing it. I get that. We see it. We know what it is, and it's what we're fighting. It's where the resistance, the denial, and the that's what you have to sort of get through to be able to evoke the the be able to diagnose what's going on. You have to get past all the anisognosia, which is up front. And again, their personalities are great. They're lovely people. There's nothing nothing not social or personal about them. But there are brain mechanisms that drive people to the street that have treatment and by the way when they're treated they're gonna be pissed at you they're pissed when they come back off the street who let me languish like that out there well and i would even say to the last caller who said you know they go out and talk to the homeless so do i I. but talk to the homeless family members who are suffering watching their loved one refuse treatment refuse to get off the street and you know the one call they're fearing is either a from the morgue 
or be from jail. And actually, at, when they're in jail, at least they know they're in an environment where they're safe. I, I hate when they go to the jail. It's ridiculous. No, it, it, it is. But so the I, morgue, you know, I hate worse because that's where they're going. But I, I talk to the homeless on the street that are that are facing mental uh, mental health challenges. And I did just last week when I was having a press conference, a woman came up. But I guarantee you, if you talk to her family, they would beg, oh. beg to get her help. And you know, and you were you and I were talking earlier, and there's a there's a piece missing in all of this, which is vocational rehabilitation. You want people to return return to a productive, flourishing life. And you know, when you deteriorate with these illnesses, the ability to get back into the job market is extremely challenging. And you need literally literally professionals, vocational rehab people to help you do that. And whenever people talk about wraparound services, I mean, let me, Ethan, let me address your other thing again about not everyone needing mental health, uh, <laughs> not being mental health patients. What is the one thing you hear about homeless people every time they talk about housing them? They need housing and? Supportive services, wraparound well, services. Well, wraparound services are what are provided in a psychiatric hospital that defines mental illness. If you have your appendix out, you don't need wraparound services. If you break your hip, you don't need wraparound services when you have any mental illness, you need wraparound services. A wraparound services, vocational rehab, psychiatrist, psychologist, chemical dependency counselor, social worker, that's wraparound services. And that's all we've ever done in psychiatric hospitals is give wraparound services. So when you say somebody needs has a need for wraparound services, you are defining that person as having some degree of mental health issues. That's it, period. Sure. Okay, so we are going. I'm having trouble with the Facebook. I got to tell you, I can't see what's coming up yeah, there. Okay, I'm trying to get that. Let's go to hillsides. We have. Uh, we want to talk about the resources that are out there, and this is this is a whole other topic, which is you know a lot of there's, there's most of the people that are that don't have mental severe mental illness. Not we're we're the the topic I'm addressing is the chronically homeless mm-hmm. who are going to die. The transiently homeless, on average, spend three months on the street. Those are people that eventually access the resources that are out there. And uh, there's lots of resources, lots of them. We're going to talk to one in just a second. But as we go through this conversation, I want you to sort of highlight some of the resources and how people can get at them. Because it's not certainly not a lack of resource, right? Well, I mean, it, and, and this has been the greatest challenge. And we were talking before we came on the air about, about where you go to get the resources. And, you know, in L.A. County, we have uh, 211. Um, and then we have an app that you can go on, um, which I just drew a blank on the app, uh, but but it's on our it'll be on our website. Uh, it is hard to navigate the bureaucracy and lots of. Why is that? Why is well, that? you know, I think that I think that um, the services, um, the depth of services, and we're, we are we are addressing this right now. Um, for example, we're going to have hillsides on. They deal with foster youth. Um, we know that foster youth are falling through the cracks and are ending up on the street. Yes, that's so a we're very focus- common thing. And so we're focused now, starting at age 11, preparing these kids to um, emancipate out of our system. But we're also providing them with housing so that they can they so they don't end up on the street. Um, it's getting the information out to the social workers, getting the information out to the foster families, getting the information out to the communities that we have resources available. And um, that's why, you know, I'm excited to have Hillsides on because they are a key partner in that. But navigating um, and, and getting 
services to those individuals. That's why we have the showers out there. We get criticized for setting up showers out in areas where there's homeless. They're not just there to take shower. We have outreach teams that will link them to resources. Right, and if you if you want to know how difficult it is to get the chronically homeless into care, I was speaking to who was your supervisor, maybe a city council member that stepped down like a year ago. Oh, um, uh, uh, Mitch Englander. Mitch Englander. I was talking to Mitch Englander. He said, on average, to get one homeless individual into a shower takes 14 contacts. Yeah, it's 14 true. contacts. They become service resistant. It's part of the illness. It's part of the illness. And so so imagine how difficult it is to get somebody into care. That's just into a shower. So this is what you have to understand about the, the condition that is existing on our streets. And so uh, you were saying you're being criticized for that, which is ridiculous, providing services to people where they can get contact. They think it's a building. magnet for the homeless when, in fact, it's it, from a sanitary standpoint and giving them the ability to take a shower, yeah. get clean clothes, anything get some food. Is, anything is helpful. But contact with individuals and caseworkers right. that can connect with them and build up trust is is important. Is anyone talking about what is it about our... our uh, foster care system that is in, in, causing children to become adults to hit the streets it's not it's not lack of support because there's stuff they know to use the system well you know we've learned this and again i i'm i'm a big fan of hillside so i keep yeah. saying hillsides but they are the ones that talk about the trauma and fair informed care right and um people do not realize that it's we've given them a loving home and maybe with a great foster family but there is still trauma that suffered right and so we're very much now focused working with our agencies like hillsides to address the trauma informed care which is a mental need. health intervention Thank it you. is hillsides corinda perkins tell us about your work Oop, Corinda. I'm here. There you are. Tell, Hello? Tell Can us you hear about, me? Yeah. Oh, tell great. about the Youth Moving On Peer Resource Center and all that. Tell us what you got. Of course. Thank you so much for, for having us on. So Youth Moving On is one of Hillside's five core programs, and we work with transition age youth between the ages of 16 to 25. And so the idea is is to really provide them with all of the services to prevent them from becoming that chronically homeless population. What What is um, the biggest we, stumbling block to delivering those services? How, how, a, a, how effective are the services? And B, what's getting in the way of rendering them? So, sorry, say the first one again? How effective are the services you render? In other words, okay. when, if you were to study that group and say, hey, we've got 80% of these people respond to care. And then that's one question. The other question is, what's the resistance? What, what are the barriers to care? Okay. So we serve about, we serve over 500 young adults every year at our drop-in center. And we actually, of all of our young adults, 80% come back more than just once. So that alone just says that we're a safe place. They like our services. They find benefit in our services because they keep coming back. Um, The biggest barrier is just, they have, it's life. It's hard for them to come in and work on mental health. It's hard for them to come in and think about even getting a job or um, how to apply for a job if they don't even know where they're going to sleep at night. So um, it's, you know, it's helping them see that all of these are interconnected. That doesn't pass the sniff test for me. It's harder to live on the street. It's harder to come in and fill out a job application and connect with caring people. Harder to do that than live on the streets. That doesn't make sense. No, to me. when they're so when they're so what happens is is that to come in and get our services, they want they want housing. Want they want a place to sleep. So sometimes it's a lot harder to work with them around finding a job or 
um, working on mental health services because all they think about is, where am I going to sleep tonight? What are, where am I going to go tonight? Guys, How can I be safe? You guys don't have that. And so, so we do. We have a very small housing program for young adults between the ages of 18 and 24 who have touched the foster care system or juvenile justice system. Right. But it's small. Our program is 18 beds, um, and there, we just need more housing out there. Um, but within our housing program, one positive and where we are seeing progress is we treat all of our clients the same, just kind of what you were mentioning earlier. So all of our housing residents get mental health services from the beginning. The minute they walk in, it doesn't matter if they're a mental health bed or not. They all get mental health services. Let me, let me answer this too, Grenda. We, we, the, um, it seems to me, I was just talking to Catherine about this, that we need to beef up the vocational rehab piece of this, that, that, that really mm-hmm. that's such a major thing for particularly young people moving into adulthood. Am I wrong? No, that is correct. And that is our other piece. We created a curriculum along with four other large agencies in LA County, a workforce development curriculum that we teach all of our young adults in. And then we also provide them with a 300 hour paid internship where they can practice all the skills that they've learned. We see that many of our young adults they fail three times um, in work before they are actually successful. And so we, by providing them that supportive environment, they're able to fail, and they know that we will find them another location to continue to practice. Um, and that right there helps them become successful so that they do have income. We're addressing their mental health services, and they can then ideally move into a program when they become over 24 when they're more of an adult that has less supportive services. You know, on that internship program, you should contact our office because I sponsored a motion working with the United Way to offset um, uh, salary for individuals that want to nice. take on and, and help with the homeless. So we'd be happy to support you on that. And by the way, both of you, Thank maybe, you. and each of you, what, what other organizations are there out there that are similar to this in your in your district? Well, you, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I know I'm biased because I represent the fifth, but Hillside's Five Acres, all of our um, foster family agencies have been very focused on um, addressing those that are uh, – are emancipating out of the system. Because that's, so that's been a huge network. deficit until Hill, till no, Hillside it's, started really dealing with it. It's been, Hillside, I think, was the first yeah, to, to, um, to build a, yeah. uh, get an apartment in place. Yeah. yeah we love Hillside. Okay. Well, Corinda, thank you for your work. Whatever we can do to support you, please let us know and yeah. uh, just do more. Yeah. <laughs> sure we'll work with you. I'm sure thank you, you so much. All right. Thank you for calling us. That was one yeah. of my frustrations when we were looking at the homeless uh, population. I wanted to know exactly who we're talking about. Yeah. And we did not break it down because I said, how many foster? We didn't know. Now we are actually trying and doing uh, a count based on looking at the foster youth, looking at the, the ones that are growing are the older population as well. On the, the elderly. That's a whole other thing. That's, but I'm telling you that that's that, how that's housing. That's housing. It's also tied directly to housing. But there's, but there's mood stuff and there's all kinds of psychiatric stuff in there too that that yeah. paralyze them. That make it's a double whammy, right? Yeah. Um, and that's that's a whole interesting and different group. The the elderly. It is, but you know, I talk to people and we won't get into this today. But rent control. The elderly are on a fixed income. A lot SSI, of them end up in the car. And 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 the, it, when SSI goes up, it does not match what rent 
yeah. goes up. So we have an issue, and so rent control but, alone but is not going to solve not, that. If you were not paralyzed by mental illness, you would move. You would go somewhere where you can afford to live. But when you are when you're having difficulty and you start to fall into it, you ain't coming out. You understand what I'm saying? No, I understand yeah. what you're and, saying. And gone are the days where when you retire, your house is paid off. No, yeah, uh, yeah. those days are gone, and so you've got a whole group that is actually. Um, not able to maintain that's that we need to start thinking about what kind because just the way this youth group needs specialized services around trauma this elderly group needs specialized services essentially are on aging brains essentially that's what that is and and their social stuff you're talking about yeah all right we got a call here from northern california i don't know the name the next call tony monique yes how's it going dr drew hey there what's going on Um, it's really hard to hear you. I don't know if it's difficult for you guys to hear me, we hear you. but I've been watching and to Catherine, uh, Barger, Barger, I appreciate you reading Dr. Drew's letter the other day. Um, I agree with you full heartedly. This is a, a very deep seated issue of mental health issues with individuals who are homeless on the street up here in Northern California. We've been uh, speaking legislatively for two years. My girlfriend, Brenda and I, Her daughter is homeless on the streets. Yesterday, she was on KRCR News uh, and shared her story. She's terrified to share her story, but it's a story. It's 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 a heartbreaking story, which is each individual story as to why they're homeless. I am hoping that we can get in, have conversations with people to try and figure out what it is they need. There are a ton of resources, but there's also a lot of hoops. To get yeah, through, yeah, yeah. Well, that, we were just starting to talk about that. Thank you for for bringing that up because I, I, that that is, yeah. I feel ignorant on that issue. I feel like it's mysterious yeah. because, so, so what happens to me is I'll meet a homeless person on the street and I'll go, I'm taking you. To, I, here's Lassa right here. I'm taking you in. No, well, that's not because of yep. administrative hoops, or maybe they've encountered administrative hoops that they found very unpleasant in previous efforts. And what does that look like? What does that look like to the homeless person? Well, first of all, Monique, thank you. And I'm sorry that that you and and your girlfriend are going through this. But I I have to say that um, what I'm finding with the homeless population is they do not want to go into emergency shelter because they've got belongings um, and they don't know where to place them. And it may look like junk to some, but it is their personal belongings. So we've been working, I mean, in Pasadena, we've got Union, or Union Station, which is an amazing uh, homeless facility that, uh, that allows people to store their goods outside. Uh, and the hurdles are there. I, I would argue the hurdles are more on the, on the government side and up in San Francisco. You know it's getting bad when your own senator, Senator Weiner, sponsored legislation to expand conservatorships because he recognized that so it's important. untenable the way it's so going. So important. And so, so uh, the, hurdle, yeah. the hurdles can be created by government. And, and you know, I'm, for, I'm focused on addressing mental no, health but, but laws to break I, it down. But if I'm, I'm homeless, I go to Lhasa or I go to... I mean, look, I worked with Andy Bales, the Union Rescue Mission. He just goes, come in. I, we love you. We'll help you. That's it. They're in. Boom. Where is it? Where are these barriers that I keep hearing about? Well, the barriers are. I mean, once Andy gets them, for example, he yeah. built uh, Hope Gar- or, uh, Hope Gardens up in Cagle Canyon for mm-hmm. women and children who do not belong on Skid Row, right? For sure. Period. And so, uh, you know, the challenge is finding a place to, uh, that will accept and and can house these individuals. And here in LA County, everyone's saying fix the problem. And then when you identify. Um, locations to try to build transitional they housing, won't they won't let you. And I would tell you that they are already in your neighborhood and le- left to their own devices are 
far worse off than in a stable environment. Well, right. This is the don't don't confuse what you're seeing on the streets with what you will see in a properly managed treatment center. And that's why we Those have to educate things. the public. Pasadena yeah. has done a great job. Their homeless count is down. I know of a place up uh, in Pasadena where homeless families are living, and it is it. You would not know that this facility is housing homeless of family. Course. It looks like any well, same other... Same with Hillsides. looks like an apartment building. That, that yeah. center, you would never so know. So it's about it educating the public, and the public uh, really has to be a part of the process. Yeah, and I'll tell you, it's so funny. Speaking of Pasadena, I have great respect for the mayor of Pasadena, and I've loved the, re- the city services and everything. I really have no quarrels with the city of Pasadena, but I got into it with the mayor with the same thing we got into Ethan about. It. He's like, "How do you? what do you mean they all need, they're all mentally ill? They need a place to live and wraparound services. And I said, wraparound services is what you give to the mentally ill. So stop it. He goes, well, I'm not a doctor. Well, I am. That's the point. Next call, please. Next call. Yeah, and, I, and let me just say one thing. we yeah. got to break the stigma yeah. because mental illness Oh, the stigma. Be, You've got to be in your mind stigmatizing these poor people. That's well, but, so bizarre. But, but, but what I'm That's saying like, is, you are, know, people think mental illness is uh, schizophrenia, bipolar, but people going into depression. Oh, cry, And depression uh, can uh, cause uh, And various kinds of cognitive disorders and cerebrovascular disease. You don't understand what you're looking at. You don't understand what it is. It's so protean what can happen to the brain. Your right. brain gets sick just the way your heart gets sick. Your elbow gets sick. Yep. And we're not treating it for some weird reason. And it's be, and then we stigmatize the brain illnesses for reasons that defy logic. Right. Next caller, what's what's the name here? Ian. Ian, what's up, Ian? Oh, sorry, I, I thought I it was still on mute. All right, you're uh, good. Here, what's up, Ian? Uh, how are y'all doing today? Great. What's happening? Uh, well, I, I had uh, wanted to more of like a, a question about like the role of, and this is a question for the, for the, uh, supervisor Barger, um, uh, more about like as a County supervisor, you, uh, you know, at least oversee the, obviously, you know, <laughs> the budget of the LASD instead of LAPD. And I know that with, uh, right now where it stands with Martin V. Boise, uh, can just as like a, like from a civics lesson sort of point for myself, like what's the difference between what LAPD can do now and what LASD can do now? And then also should the uh, ruling uh, be overturned, should the Ninth Circuit ruling be overturned, uh, then uh, what would the roles of the two different agencies be like then? Let's let her answer that. That, Great question. That's a great question. First of all, the... Over, or if, if we are successful in overturning Ninth Circuit Court, what that will say is we no longer have to have bed for bed to homeless populations. So here in L.A. County, we would have to have approximately 60,000 beds. To help anybody. To help anybody right. and enforce current, current laws as it relates to overnight camping on the streets, on the sidewalks. Uh, as was stated even by my colleague when we debated this at the board, we will not uh, be enforcing sweeps per se, no. but we are going to enforce. The federal the laws government will do that if we don't do something. That's exactly, you got to be careful. Exactly, they'll come in here and they will do sweeps. But the difference between LAPD LASD is LASD. Obviously, we control their budget, but the sheriff is an elected official um, under LAPD. Uh, 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 Chief Moore is appointed by the mayor and the city council. Uh, you know, they are the ones that are and and. 
definitely Sheriff Villanueva is saying, we need to help the homeless, and we should not be in the business of criminalizing. We should be in the business of helping. And I know you've talked to him. Um, yeah, he gets Dr. It. Drew. He gets, uh, any, any cop on the beat, any physician gets what's going on here. Ben Carson gets it. Sheriff Villanueva gets it. Buscaino gets it because he was he has walked the beats. You get it. It's, it's no. There's no mystery about what we're doing and what should be done. And and by the way, you know, I, I understand that that giving homeless people tickets is is ridiculous. You yes. are criminalizing them. So with the ability to at least start enforcing and not having a bed bit for bed in order to do that, it's going to allow us call it the individuals that genuinely do want to get off the street. Get them off the street. It'll give them an incentive to get off the street. For those that have mental health challenge, we're going to have to look to conservatives. We're going to have to look to other things. Yeah. But but the goal is not to criminalize no, individuals it's the opposite. at it's the all. Opposite. I know, but I think that people think that this is a way for us oh, to now please. say we're going to go in oh, and do please. these sweeps, throw away their goods, which, Step by the aside. way, will still be protected. They are still protected yes. under the amendment. They're, they're I, I am, I'm a little concerned about what you were saying, though, about belongings, though, because if you're going to take a chronically psychotic individual's belongings as belongings, you have to have a hoarding expert talk to them. Because because a schizophrenic will include their stool and their belongings. That's a routine kind of symptom. Okay. Uh, and their belongings. Hang sorry, on a second, Ian. Hang on. And, and so oh. the, if you can't touch their belongings and you don't have a hoarding interventionist take a look at things and help them sort through this, the way they would on a reality show, it's the same thing in real life. It, it's you're going to have stool in in, in these in and, these, and uh, I understand you, but the, the Ninth Circuit ruling is not going to impact that because that's that this is about the Eighth Amendment. No, I'm just saying you got to have a, a you got to address that clinical issue on yeah. the way into the, the facilities. Otherwise, you're going to have a, a infectious disease problem because that's the nature of these disorders. Just that's the reality of them. Any event. Catherine, I know you have to go, uh, and you've been very kind with your time. And and I, I am, I didn't get a chance to gush at the beginning with how how grateful I am for your leadership, how how easy, how you you've just been making pragmatic, reasonable decisions on behalf of your constituency and on behalf of humans. It's all we need. We need people to help the citizens. That's it. That's all. Stay away from theology and ideology, everybody. It will harm people. Just you're looking at the facts. You're coming up with solutions. You're executing them. And this is a nonpartisan issue, too. I, it it kills not. me it's when people issue. make this about politics. This is not... If you start making this about rights issue. and ideology and stuff, you are, you're a murderer. You're killing people. This, this, is, this is an emergency like any other. It's a public health emergency where the current structure is killing people, materially, directly killing people. It has to be intervened upon. It has to be intervened upon quickly so people can be restored to health, restored to their, to their life uh, you know, in, in, a, in a systematic way. Not criminalized, not rounded up, not whatever right. you're thinking. Just get, get that out of your head. Then, then if you're thinking that way, put yourself on the sideline because you don't know what you're talking about. So, Catherine, uh, thank you so much. Yeah, thank again. you. And I just want to thank my colleague, Janice Hahn, who co-authored I, I, the motion I wanna, with I me. I want to personally thank yeah. Janice Hahn and Mark Ridley Thomas. And Mark Ridley Thomas. You're, you, it will, we will look upon this moment as the moment things started to move back towards our ability to help, help humanity. Yeah, but I want to thank you um, yeah. because you have an incredible following and we got to get the word out. If yes. not oh for you bringing this to the level that you have, um, I would still be fighting it, but I would not have the support that I'm well, hearing in the community behind me. It's it's a weird thing when you when you. It's literally like I, I like every day I wake up and come upon a car accident, and I'm a trauma surgeon, and, and I'm not allowed to go near the site. It's just you you just want it. You want to start helping. You want to start doing something, and it, you you morally. You're, it's, you're, you're moved to action because when you 
know what's happening and people are dying, you, you have to do something. You have and you to live here. It, it's affecting your life. And that's I, why... I don't, I don't care about me. I really don't. This, no, this but, is the but I mean, you there, see it. You experience it. I understand it. your constituency's lives are being adversely affected. And, I, and I, I will allow people... I have no problem people telling that piece of the story. That's not what moving me. What's moving me are the people who are suffering and dying on the streets. That's what I can't stand. These are my patients. I know what's going on with them. I've treated them for decades. I, I, can, I can see it at a distance, exactly what that diagnosis is. Of course, if I were doing that, I would do a certain kind of an interview and collect certain kinds of data from them to confirm my diagnosis, but then I know exactly what to do for them. It's not complicated. It's, from the standpoint of the clinician, it's easy once we apply the currently available evidence-based treatments. They are quite available and quite quite effective and can restore, restore people to health and safety and flourishing lives again. And to, to not do that, I don't know how anybody can sit by and not. So it's Well, like, and I, you know, the Ninth Circuit's not, I'm not waiting for that. That's, that's, that's six at least months out, yeah. whether it's even going to be heard or not. Yeah. In the meantime, you know, fasten your seat, but you're going to be hearing a lot more Good. Um, on some of the things that we're going to be doing that I'm going to be doing leading um, on this issue as it relates to housing. But I also want to thank Theonae Evangelist, who's the attorney Mm -hmm. who has taken this on pro bono uh, for the city of Boise uh, because she is doing something that no one else I, I believe would do um, but I think she's she she's her doing heart the is in the right place herself, yep. doing the amicus brief herself yep. and thank you for those mobile units that you're putting out yeah. there so they will have a bi- that will have a big impact I no, like I'm that. excited I'm yeah. excited it's not gonna I mean it's not each one we're painting uh, you know a picture here each one by itself may not seem like a lot oh it's a but lot but when you put it together yeah yeah oh no no when it you makes it's, a it's, difference. An, it's, a, it's the mod squad you're having it's an emergency yeah, sir it's, it's it's out there doing the and, and you'll and you'll get a clearer picture of you know once they collect their data too of exactly what you got what the needs are that kind of thing so so the individual that kept saying we're criminalizing the met team uh, which goes out 98% of those individuals get services versus jail of course. And prior to the Met course, team, they were ending up in our jails. So I, course, course. you know, I stand tall with the fact that I'm actually, my goal is to do totally the opposite, is to get these people out of our jails, into services, and back into the community. And anyone getting in the way of that is contributing to a body count. Think about that. Yep. Dude, think about your, examine your heart. You're contributing to a daily body count if we don't do something. Amen. Okay, where can people go for, to find more? What's your website? Uh, uh, Catherine Barger. At B-A- LA County, Barger, B-A-R-G-E-R, dot lacounty.gov. All right, guys. Thank you very much, and uh, thank you for participating in this. I think it's an important topic, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Hey, Dr. Drew here, and this is just a reminder that the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care or medical evaluation. This is purely for entertainment and education. We hope you learned something. But see your doctor, get proper medical care.